Galatians chapter 3, starting verse 29, and then we'll go through 4, verses 11. So as everyone knows, we're uh, going through the book of Galatians, and today we're going to begin in chapter 4. Um, this is kind of a two-part, um, we're going to cover kind of two things this morning. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is enslaved to demons, and we're going to talk about what Paul means uh, by that in his uh, scripture today. Now, let's let's start out. What do you when you think of demons? What's your kind of your first thought? What do you typically think of? The devil. Okay, the devil. Addictions. Okay, addictions. Lack of conscience. Huh? Lack of conscience. Okay, lack of conscience. Give me the give me a picture in your mind. What do you think of? Huh? Okay, gargoyles. That's not me. I, I saw The Exorcist when I was 16, and I'm like, that's forever frozen in my mind, yes. demon possession, right? Huh? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's forever. Fr- so, so that's kind of what I thought of when I think of demons. I think of things like, um, you know, something like The Exorcist, right? We think of somebody that's completely out of control, you know, foaming at the mouth, uh, superhuman strength. By the way, one of the things that made that so scary was because it's true, yeah. right? It, it, it's it's one thing you watch a movie and you, you're like, man, that that, that could never happen, right? That, that's not true. Well, if you if you read the Bible, you know in fact that it is true and it, and it can be true. In fact, that's backed up by scriptures in the Bible. I just picked one out. For example, Mark five, it says when Jesus climbed out of the boat. A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. And this man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. And whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and he smashed the shackles. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. And day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. So here's this... Uh, this idea of a person that's completely out of control, right? They're 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 cutting themselves. They're they're falling down. They're foaming at the mouth. They're got superhuman strength. I mean, so this is this is biblical. It's backed up uh, by the Bible. So it's so it's absolutely true. But demons also work in another way, and this is a way that is unrecognizable by the majority of people in the world. Most people in the world have no idea that they're even there. They're, they're, when they work this way, they're very much in control. They, they look like other people. They act like other people. They talk like other people. And they have, appear very normal. They don't look evil. And so that, uh, that way, nobody knows who they are. They're not, they're not exposed. So the work they do is extraordinarily deceptive. Now, by the way, this is also backed up by, by the Bible. Here's, I'll give you a couple scriptures. Acts 16 uh, this is kind of a funny one to me. Uh, it says this. This is Luke writing. He says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and, bought her, and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying. Now watch what she said. By the way, she, he's already told us she has a demon, right? She has an evil spirit. Watch what she says. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now that makes no sense, right? Look what she's saying. She's saying, hey, these men are are servants of the Most High God. She's saying the right things. But the Bible's already told us she's she's got an evil spirit. And it said this, and this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, 
um, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. You know, I always wonder what took him days. Isn't that funny? The way life just, I mean, I just love the Bible because the Bible's just so real, right? I mean, you know, the first day, Paul's like, man, I, you know, it's funny. He just didn't, he didn't figure it out immediately, did he? It like took him a few days to figure out, man, this something ain't right with this girl, right? So anyway, but there's someone who she's not showing superhuman strength. She's not falling down. She's not foaming at the mouth. She's not cutting herself with stones. She's not doing anything like that. And in fact, the words that are coming out of her mouth sound right, do they not? But yet the Bible clearly tells us that she had a, an evil spirit. In fact, if you go on and read in the Bible, what the Bible will tell us is that demons will even work within the very confines of the church. This girl was out kind of in a public square or a public area, but it tells us that they'll work within the confines of the Christian church. 2 Corinthians 11, 13-14, Paul is talking about some men in the church, and he says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, he says... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Okay? Now, we'll talk about that as we move on a little bit more. Now, the thing is, in today's world, not many people even believe that there are such things as demons. Most people don't even believe in it. And I think part of that is there's such a difference in our culture between voodoo and, and black magic and witchcraft and exorcism on the one hand. And on the other hand, we've got things like space technology, right? And iPads. And how do you, how do you reconcile those two? They just seem totally separate from one another. So we, we kind of live in what we would call an enlightened culture uh, that finds it hard to believe in demons. Okay, and so I, in fact, I, my guess would be if you ask ten people, "Are demons real?" Probably nine out of ten would say no. That's just that's in movies, that's in things. And by the way, that's exactly how Satan likes it. That's exactly how. And and, and something else too. If you go to other, it, it, we find this in our culture. You don't see it so much. In other, if you go to other cultures, you go to Mexico, you'll see demon possession. You don't. I don't. I can't explain why you don't see it here the way you do in other cultures. Um, but I can tell you here, I think Satan just chooses to work in a different methodology. At the end of the day, he doesn't care if he, if he fools you and you go to hell. or You see, he don't, he don't matter to him, right, how he does it. Whatever plan works best for, for him. But I want to I focus on this for a second, that most people don't believe in demons. I went back and found a Barna survey how many of y'all have heard of the Barna Group? The Barna Group is a, is a Christian group, and they do, they've been doing surveys for years and years. And if you go to their website, there's, if you want some really interesting information about what people believe and what they don't believe, this is a really good place to go. So I went back to 2009, and um, they did a survey of about 2,000 uh, Christians. Now, these are self-described Christians, right? They... They pick up the phone, they call somebody, and they, they ask them, they say, are you a Christian? And, they'll, and that person says, yes. And they'll say, well, can I ask you some questions? So when I, when I say they're surveying Christians, these are people who say they are Christians. And so they did a survey of about 2,000 Christians. They asked them their beliefs about God, about Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit, uh, Satan, demons, etc. Um, 60%, or 6 out of 10 said that Satan is not a living being, but is just a symbol. 
So, the, now by the way, again, these are people, understand, these are not people that say they're not believers. These are people who say, I'm a Christian. But six out of ten of them agree that in, the, in the thing that Satan is not a living being, but is just a symbol of, of evil. Um, only a minority, 26%, indicated that they believe Satan is real. So again, you know, it, it kind of backs up what we're saying. And by the way, the rest of them didn't know what to believe. So, um, in the same vein, by the way, if you think that's sad, in the same vein, most of them didn't believe that the Holy Spirit is a, is a living being either. Um, only overall, 58%, again, almost 6 out of 10, agreed that the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power, but He's not a living being or a living uh, entity. Only 30% agree that, that He's real. So most, most people that read the Bible that say they're Christians think, you know, it's just a symbol of evil. It's just a symbol of God's power. It, they're, they're not real. Now, if you want absolute proof that no, hardly anybody thinks anymore, people just do not think anymore. Have you ever run across people that can hold two beliefs and they're exact opposite of one another? And you think, how can you do that? How can you say you believe that and say you believe that? Do you not even think it through and understand that they're different? It's the same thing here. Um, when they went on to ask questions, they asked the question, do you believe a person can be under the influence of, of spiritual forces such as demons or evil spirits? 66% agreed, yes, you can. <laughs> I mean, now again, remember, 60% don't even believe the devil's real. But two-thirds of them said, yeah, you can be under the influence of the devil. I mean, it's ridiculous what people think. They, they are, in one hand, they'll say one thing. In another, they'll, they'll say uh, another. In the end, when they ran all the numbers, about 47% of the Christians who believe that Satan is merely a symbol, those people also agreed that a person can be under the influence of spiritual forces. So, so half of them said Satan's not real. Yes, you can be under the influence of, 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 of evil spirits. I mean, which is it, you know? So people just don't think this, uh, don't think this stuff through. Now, let's be honest, though. Even among true Christians, and when I say true Christians, these aren't just people who call themselves Christians. These are people who are true believers. Um, even them who do believe in demons, because the Bible tells us, it's, it's kind of hard to take them serious, right? Um, even though we open the Scripture and we see that Jesus took demons very seriously, um, in our culture, we just don't see many kinds of these strange supernatural manifestations. We don't see people throwing themselves into the fire. We don't see people doing those kind of things. And so it's kind of hard to take them serious. But the thing is, as Christians, we walk by faith, right? Not by what we see. We don't go by what we see. We go by what the Bible tells us. If the Bible tells us it's true, we believe it. Not because we've seen it. Right. Um, in fact, we understand as true Christians that if we reject the reality of demons, then we basically are calling Jesus and the apostle liars. Because they all said, this is real. For example, Luke eleven twenty, Jesus said, if by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Was, was Jesus lying? Was he, was he pulling the wool over our eyes when he spoke to people and cast demons out? Um, Paul said this, we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in, in heavenly places. Paul says there are evil spirits out there that we're fighting. Um, if you go on, Peter said this, 
your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone who he can devour. Uh, James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Are, are they all lying? Are they, I mean, you know, First um, John 4, 3, John said this, every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. He says there are spirits out there that are not of God. They're evil spirits. And so do we reject what John and Jesus and Paul and, and James and Peter said? Of course we don't. We believe that because, again, we walk by faith, not necessarily by what we see. So demons are real. And what we have to realize this morning is that there is a typical way that demons work in America. They work, they're at work in Walkala County. They're at work in the state of Florida. They're at work in our country. And there's a typical way that they work. And by the way, this work, the way they work, it's very clean. It's very moral. It's very religious. And it's very hellish. It's just as dangerous and destructive as voodoo or black magic or witchcraft or divination. And Paul, in our passage today, is going to expose this for us. He's going to expose this demonic uh, scheme. So let's go read our scripture. Galatians 3, we'll start in verse 29, and then we'll continue into verses, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says this, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, and you are heirs according to the promise. And then he goes on to explain what he means. He said this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child is no better than a slave, though he is the owner of all the estate. But he is under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So it was with us, Paul says, when we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. Okay. Now, you're, if you look at your Bible there, depending on what version you're using, some, the Greek word that's used there is stokeia. Okay, and it, it can have all kind of different meanings, right? Um, some translations, your translations may say that we were slaves to the weak and beggarly elements. Other translations say weak and beggarly principles. Um, others say weak uh, and, and worthless or elemental things. Um, but the NIV and the RSV translate that elemental spirits of the universe. And now, today I'm going to use the RSV because I think that translation fits uh, the very best. Uh, here's why. Notice in verse 8, and again, depends on what version you're using, uh, I'll, I'll read several. For example, the NIV in verse 8 says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. The ESV says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Uh, the King James says, how be it then when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are not God's. So you can see here in verse 8, Paul is not talking about things or, or principles or ideas. He's talking about beings. He's talking about someone. Everybody with me? So I think when you look at it that way, the RS, that's why the, in fact, the RSV translates verse 8 this way. Formerly when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are, are no gods. Um, so again, it's, it's a tough translation because that word can mean multiple things. Uh, but I think in context that, that the idea that he's talking about you were enslaved to beings, you were enslaved to some, uh, someone is a better um, translation. And by the way, one of the things we were talking about last night that you have to do with the Bible 
is a lot of times when you see something in the Bible, you have to let the Bible interpret the Bible. You have to go look at other scriptures. What does Paul say in other areas about, everybody with me? Um, what does he mean by that? And you go look at other scriptures to see what he means. For example, does Paul talk this way in other areas? Well, he does. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 8, 5. Uh, Paul says this, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, um, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are things. Um, what Paul says is, Paul doesn't like those titles, right? When it comes to God, the Bible's clear, there's one God. But Paul understands that there are people out there worshiping other gods. They worship Buddha, they worship Allah, they worship whatever they want to call him. So Paul says, okay, I don't really like those titles, but you're worshiping them, so I'll go with that title for you. You want to call that a god? I'll call him a god. But Paul wants to be sure we understand later on what those gods are that you're worshiping. And he makes that clear later in the letter in 1 Corinthians 10.20. He says this, What pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. So he's saying when, when these pagans are in another religion, a religion and they're worshiping these gods, the gods they're worshiping are demons. That's what he's Everybody see me? What he's saying right there. So he's very clear about that. Um, in, in his letter to Timothy, he says it even more clearly. He wants us to understand that apart from Christ as unbelievers, you are worshiping demons. You are enslaved to demons. He said in 2 Timothy 2.26, talking about unbelievers, he said, May they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So what Paul wants us all to understand is that when a person is an unbeliever, even if that person is participating in a religion, and, and by the way, they can be very sincere in their religion. They can be doing their very best in this, in this religion. But what he's saying is they're not just over there doing some kind of moral makeover. When you're in a false religion as an unbeliever, you are worshiping demons. Okay, that's what you're worshiping. That's what you're participating. That's what you're enslaved to. That's what you're serving. Now, that is who the Gentile Christians were at one time, right? Remember, that's who he's writing this letter to. Before they had come to know the true God, they had been enslaved to demons, and they had served them through religious practices. Yet, here they are. They're in an extremely perilous situation. They're in danger. The whole reason Paul's writing this letter is they're in danger of turning back and becoming enslaved again to those same demons they previously served. Let's look at verses 4, 8 through 9. He says this, Formerly when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits whose slaves you want to be once more? So everybody see the situation Paul's in. You got these guys, they've become Christians. They, they understand the gospel. They're free in the gospel. And these guys come along and say, no, 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 no. You're, you can't be the best. If you want to be the best Christian you, you can be, you have to be circumcised. Or if you want to be the best Christian you have to be, you have to observe the Jewish festivals. If you want to be the best Christian you can be, you have to observe the high holy days. Remember I said, we think nobody does that anymore. Remember I said a few weeks ago, somebody came up to Pastor Henry at the end of the service and said, hey, I love your church, got a great church, you just need to do one thing. If you'll just follow the Jewish feast days, 
and observe the Jews, then the Spirit can really move in this church. Remember that? I'm telling you, people still think if we just do this, if you just do that, then the Spirit's going to fall. If you just observe this, if you just dress this way, if you just do these certain things, we, we're constantly being pulled back to legalism, back to trying to do things a certain uh, way. And that's what he's saying. Why, why are you turning back to those things that you were enslaved to uh, previously? Now, here's what I want you to see. What in the world were they doing? When he warns them, look at this warning. How can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits whose slaves you want to be once more? Now think about what they were doing. Let me ask you a question. Were they going to go back to the pagan temples and participate in sexual religious practices with prostitutes? Is that what they were doing? No. Were they going to go to the pagan temples and offer sacrifices to demons under the guise of Zeus and Apollo and Athena? Is that what they were going to do? No. What were they going to do? They were, they were going to go back to the Jewish religion, right? Now, look what he says. No, and he says it in verse 10. This is what you're doing. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. Now that's, so there, again, I want you to think about this because this is really important. They're not going back to some pagan temple to participate in pagan rituals. No, he's saying you, you're going to start, you think you're a better Christian you think you're more deserving of salvation. You think God's going to love you more if you observe days, if you observe Passover, if you observe the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if you observe the, the Feast of Tabernacles. You're going to be a better Christian. You're observing days and, and seasons and years, right? That's what they were doing. Now, to us, it, it doesn't seem like, well, that doesn't seem near as bad is going back to those pagan temples and participating in pagan... But to Paul, it was just as bad. Okay? See, what they're doing is they're returning to these legal ordinances and legal rituals, and to, they're returning to the law. And what Paul is saying... And by the, by the way, we may ask the question here, are they going back to, to demon worship, or are they going back to legalism? Legalism. Okay? See, to Paul, and this is what you got to get, to Paul, they're doing both. See, to Paul, they're doing both. See, this points us to a profound and subtle relationship between demons and the law of God. See, as we saw earlier, the Galatians were in, in danger of moving from the gospel to legalism, right? Because the Jews are coming down saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got you to do that. Um, and, and that's what legalism does. It tempts Christians to turn back from dependence on the Holy Spirit to dependence on themselves. You know, I can do this. I can be a better person. I'll dress the right way. I'll talk the right way. I'll act the right way. I'll do all the right things. Um, that's the dangers of, of legalism. But what verses 8 and 9 does do is give us a deeper understanding of what happens when a person uses the law like that. Paul says when you use the law, when you say, I can be a better person, I'm going to do these things, and I'm going to make God love me more, I'm going to show God how good I am, Paul says when you do those things, you're turning back to demons. Everybody see that? You're turning back to be enslaved by demons. Now, that, now I want you to think about that. That's, that's a pretty big deal. That is probably the most astonishing thing in this passage is that Paul is saying that the Galatian Christians 
are in danger of going back to the slavery of their former Gentile pagan religion when they turn to the legalism of the Judaizers. In other words, what he's saying is the pagan religion and observing the law, it's the same thing. He didn't see any difference in it whatsoever. In other words, if you go back to the law and you use that to try to get to God, you're no better off than the guy that's over there offering sacrifices to demons. You're in the same boat. Okay? Now, again, just think about that for just a second. Remember, the new Galatian believers were Gentiles who came out of a past of, of paganism and idolatry. So imagine being in the crowd that day, and here's these Judaizers, and they, they're all dressed up in their robes, right? They all look right, and they've been, they've been following the law for years and years and years. They've never eaten anything unclean. They observe all the holidays. They observe the law to the best of their ability. And Paul stands up and says, Oh yeah, by the way, if y'all go back to being like those Judaizers, you're no better off than you were in the days you were worshiping demons. Can you imagine those Jews sitting there saying, What? Are you insane, Paul? I mean, they would have been in shock. Because this is what he's saying. If you use the Jewish law as a ladder to try to climb your way to heaven, to show God how good and worthy you are, then you are returning to the slavery of demons and you're no better than you were off than you were in your former idolatry. That's what he's saying. You're, you're, you're enslaving yourself again to demonism. And I can imagine the Jews just going, telling him he was absolutely insane. But what Paul has done is uncovered for us a typical demonic scheme which is just as prevalent in the religions of the 21st century as it was in the 1st century. And that is, demons will give you a way that's clean, it's moral, it's religious, but it is demonic and it's hellish. And they will tell you, you can do it on your own. You can do it on your own. You can follow the rules and you can be a good person and God will accept you. It's hot. I'm telling people, they're telling me it's hot. Okay. Now, don't, by the way, don't forget the scripture from Romans that we read last week. Romans 7, 11 said this, Sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, deceived me, and, he, and by it killed me. Right? So this is what Satan and his demons love to do. They love to take God's law, and they'll use it to deceive us and kill us by tempting us to use the law as a vehicle for self-righteousness. That's what they love to do. And by the way, you ask me why... Do we not see demon possession in America? Because they don't need it. They're, they're killing America doing that right there. I'm okay. I'm a good person. Right? I go to church. I'm a, by the way, we saw it a while ago. Call, two, call a bunch of people. Ask 8 out of 10 people in America identify as Christians. 8 out of 10 would say, I'm a Christian. But you go ask them, go deeper. Do you believe, are you born again? Oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not I don't believe in all that born again stuff. You know? Everybody with me? See, I, Satan doesn't need to, to he's, he's leading people down the broad road to hell. He don't need to possess them. They're, they're going right where he wants them to go. So this is working perfectly. What, what's the old adage? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why, what is there to fix? It's working for him. Right? He doesn't need to do something else. By the way, remember those false apostles at Corinth that we mentioned earlier? Remember Paul said, no wonder the angel, uh, even Satan described... Listen to what Paul says. Let me read that again. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, 
disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Paul says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And watch what he says. So it is not strange if his servants also disguise themselves. Now watch what he says. As servants of righteousness. So Paul says there are people in the church that are working for Satan. Everybody with me? They're not working for God. They're actually working for Satan. They're his servants. And they, they disguise themselves as servants of what? Righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Right standing with God. That's exactly right. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In other words, they come to you and they say, Hey, let me tell you how to be right with God. In other words, I'm going to show you how to be right with God. Everybody with me? That's what they're doing. I'm going to show you how to be right with God. But they're servants of Satan, not God. So the way that they're leading you is going to be the opposite, right? But it can't look like the opposite because you would see it. It's got to look right. Everybody with me? So they come to you and say, hey, let me tell you how to be made right with God. I'm going to tell you how to be righteous. And they give you a way that when you look at it, it says, man, that sounds good. I think that person may be right. Because it has to look good. It can't look like a trap or you'd recognize it as it. You have to disguise it. And they do it. Now, watch what this means. What Paul said there is a daring statement. He is saying that Satan and his servants achieved some of their most destructive work in the church by becoming servants of righteousness. But what kind of righteousness is this? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 10.3. Being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their what? Their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, what demons will do is they'll influence men who will come into our churches. And, and, and by the way, sometimes it's your friends. Sometimes it's those closest to you. And they'll say, hey, this is how you're right with God. You've got to dress a certain way. You've got to observe certain days, certain holidays, certain whatever. I, I was going down the road the other day. And I saw this huge billboard. And it said, you want the, you, the truth is, you, and for them, <laughs> I forget who, what organization it is, but they're all about going to church on Saturday. Okay? It's all about, you got it, Saturday, Saturday is the true Sabbath, and you can't really be a Christian if you don't go to church on Saturday. What, is Paul, what would Paul say to that? He said, you're observing days. What is, who cares? Why do we go to church on Sunday? Anybody know? It's tradition. The early church, because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, first day of the week, so they started meeting. Uh, they'd meet early on Sunday, like at sunrise. They were commemorating his resurrection. That's it's tradition. That's fine. But listen, if you said like, if we decided to come out next week, you know what we think would be more convenient if we came to church on Monday? Come to church on Monday. Who cares? That's <coughs> so what Paul says. It's not about days. It's not about that's not what it's about at all. It's about what's in your heart. It's about the righteousness of God, not your own righteousness. But man-made religion always tries to do exactly that. It tries to create our own righteousness. Okay, So that's what Satan and his demons specialize in. Taking the commandments of the law, taking the commandments of God, and luring people in the church to make those same commandments a basis of self-righteousness. And Paul recognized that 2,000 years ago. That's a scheme of the enemy. Okay, That's a scheme of, of the devil. Um, and what does this mean for you and I, by the way? 
Listen, Satan does not care if you try to keep the Ten Commandments. In fact, he will help you do it. He does not care. Um, as long as you take the credit for doing it. Doesn't care. You, can, he, you want to be a moral person? You want to try to earn your way to God? Satan will help you do it. He will help you do it. He does not care whatsoever. In fact, he doesn't mind if you come to church. He doesn't care if you teach Sunday school. He doesn't care if you tithe or preach or work for pro-life causes or seek prayer in schools. He could care less. As long He has no problem with those whatsoever. He's all in favor of your moral agenda provided you rely on yourself and not Jesus Christ. He's, he's fine with that. He's laughing. He'll, he'll stand beside you and laugh all the way to hell with you. He'd care less. He's all in favor of your moral agenda provided as you take credit for it and you don't give any credit to God. He's okay with that. See, that's the scary thing is that we've got people in this country, people in this church, who think they're okay. I'm a good person. I'm not like them. I'm better than them, not understanding that God doesn't compare you to them. He compares you to Him. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fall short of the standard of God, not somebody else. That's the problem. And see, what Satan does, and he does this really well, he, he's always getting you to compare yourself to somebody else. Doesn't he? I'm not like them. I'm better than them. I don't do what they do. He's constantly, he'll get your attention off of God and get you to other people. Well, I'm better than they are. Remember Granny Left? Yeah. He used to say it's equal to 99.9% Yeah, he will. If, he, if, 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 the, if part of it can deceive you. So what we can't do as Christians is we cannot be deceived and unprepared. Ephesians 6.11 puts it this way, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. If you go read uh, Ephesians 6, it'll tell you what, those, uh, what the armor of God is. But part of that armor of God is this, what we're doing this morning, by the way. One of the reasons on a Sunday morning when you could be in bed or you could be shopping or you could be fishing or doing all other things is because you're in here arming yourself. It's exactly what we're doing. Okay. Now, the first part of this, we talk being enslaved by demons. That's what unbelievers are. That's what Paul was warning the Galatians. The second part of this, we're going to talk about being bought by Christ. Let's read uh, verses 3 through 7. Paul says, So with us, when we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So through God you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Let's walk through this real quickly. Paul says, so with us. In other words, that, that, those people that he talked about being enslaved to demons, he said, that was you and me. You didn't know it. You, you, didn't, you weren't cognizant of that fact. But when you were on your own, you were an unbeliever, whether you understood it or not, whether you believed it or not, whether you realized it or not, Paul says you were enslaved to demons. You were blinded by Satan. You were captured to do his will. Uh, we were on the wrong side, uh, born enemies of God himself. Paul says, but when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son. In his sovereign determination of time and human history, God completed what he needed to do 
in the preliminary area of the law. Remember he gave the law. We talked about that last week. And it existed for hundreds and hundreds of years. But the time come where God had done everything he needed to do with the law. And then he sent his son Jesus. Which, by the way, became the dividing point of all history. And then he says that Jesus was born of a woman. And he was born under the law. In other words, all he's saying here is that Jesus was a human being. He was born to a woman just like just like every one of us are. Not only that, he was born a Jewish male. He was circumcised. He was taught the Torah. He went to, 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 to the synagogue. By the way, he knew from personal experience the bondage of performance-based religion. He saw it every day. He lived in it. Right? In fact, that's why Hebrews says this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. You know how we're tempted or constantly tempted to rely on ourselves, rely on your performance, rely on how good you are. We're constantly tempted. Jesus was born under that same religion. He was born under that same performance-based religion. He was constantly tempted by that. So he understands that. That's what Paul wants us to, to see there. But here's, here's the passage I want us to see, Galatians 4, 5. Why did God send His Son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons? We use that word a lot in church. We say redeemed, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Most Christians have no idea what that word means, okay? And this is a very special word. What Paul is doing here is he's using the language of the agora, now, the Agora was the Roman marketplace, and that is where slaves were bought and sold. So when you went to the marketplace, you could buy coconuts, you could buy oranges, you could buy bread, or you could buy slaves. Okay? That's the language of the marketplace. Redeem means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Okay? When you redeem something, you buy it back. That's what that word means. When we say, I'm redeemed, you're saying, I've been bought out of slavery. I was bought back. Everybody with me? That's what the word redeem means. That was Christ. When Christ came, He came to redeem us. He came to purchase us out of slavery. Slavery to sin, slavery to idols, slavery to Satan, slavery to corruption, slavery to the law. We needed to be delivered. We needed to be bought back. Who were we enslaved to? Satan. He owned us. We were captured to do His will. And by the way, most people go through life having no idea. They're just blind. Just doing what, thinking, boy, I'm in control of my life. Have no idea that they're enslaved to Satan. And, we, and by the way, we had no way out. We couldn't buy ourselves out. There was nothing we could do. So that's the, the law. You couldn't work yourself out of it. We were totally without hope until Jesus came. And of course, the price that was paid to buy us back was the death of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.14 says He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing to the cross. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. The price was His death on the cross. Who were you bought? You were bought back out of slavery. You were bought back out of, out of slavery. As slaves in the first century, if you go back and study... Slavery in the first century, um, uh, slavery could be bought for certain reasons. Some slaves could be bought from one owner to another, right? So I would buy a slave from this guy and he'd become my slave. 
But you could also buy a slave to set him free. You could, you could pay a certain ransom, a certain price, buy a slave, and then set them free. If you go read Galatians 1, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, Paul says, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. That is a beautiful verse. In other words, He didn't buy you so that you could be enslaved again to something else. He bought you to set you free. And see, what you see there is we're redeemed to be set free um, so that we can function and live and, and love as God intended us to. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful verse, Galatians 5.1. For, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Can you imagine a slave that's bought and they're set free and after a few weeks they thought, you know, I'm going to go back over and be a slave again. I mean, that's, that's, that's insane, right? But yet that's what Paul's saying. Why would you go back and submit again to that same yoke of slavery to the law when you've been set free? Why would you, why would you do that? Galatians 4, 5, we'll read on. He says, Christ came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Here's the beautiful thing about this story. Um, not only are we delivered from slavery, but God bought, buys us out of slavery, frees us, and makes us His own children. Brings us into His own family. So it's not like He comes to you and says, hey, you're set free, go do what you need to do, but you got no, you got no money, you got no, uh, you got no inheritance, you got no name, you got no nothing. He says, I'm going to set you free, but come over here and I'm going to make you my son. I'm going to give you my name. I'm going to give you my nature. You're going to become an heir of mine. He does that for us. In other words, we were estranged and alienated. Now we are adopted. We are His children and we are treated as such. Paul wants the Galatian Christians and you and I to understand that the privilege that is ours is children of God in Christ Jesus. A privilege not based on performance, but only on the spiritual reception of Jesus Christ in faith. You're bought by the death of Jesus. You're brought into the family of God, and you are now a son of God, a daughter of God. And that's not based on performance. It's not based on how good you do. God's not sitting up there every day saying, well, you, you know, today, if you, if you don't make certain, if you don't do certain, you're, I'm going to kick you out of the family. You, you can't kick children out of the family. They're always your children. Once we're adopted, God doesn't, you're adopted. You're a, you're a child of God. That doesn't change. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. That's not what it's about at all. Okay? There's going to times you're going to disappoint Him greatly. He's still going to love you. There are times you're going to make Him proud. He's still going to love you. Just like we do with our own children. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture that Paul gives to that. And none of it's based on performance. It's just based on the fact that He loves us and we're adopted into His family. This is how good it is. Galatians 4, 6. And Paul says, this is how it is, guys. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, we take that Scripture for granted. We've heard it our whole life. But in Paul's day, do you understand how radical that was to say that you can, call, you can speak to God in an intimate way, as your, the same way you do your father? Most religions viewed their gods as these, especially in Paul's day, as these petty, like Zeus and Apollo and Athena. If you go back and read those stories, there were these powerful gods, but they're petty. They're jealous and they're they're fighting one another and they're 
I mean, it's just this, this, this crazy stuff. That's how religions viewed their gods. It's very standoffish. By the way, even take the Jews, for example. Even though they're worshiping the true God, they tended to view Him kind of distant. In fact, they wouldn't even speak His name. Right? I mean, that's how, okay, you're God, we fear you, but we're not even going to say your name. Part of it out of reverence, but part of it out of a fear of using it in vain. Paul is saying, okay, now guys, you can address God with the same intimacy you would your own daddy. That's how you can talk to God. That's how you're, you're his child now. You can talk to him the way you would with your own father. That was radical back then. Like I said, we've heard that verse for so long, but to them, that was the craziest thing they'd ever heard. Who, who can call their God Father? Who can do that? Right? So it was very, uh, very radical. Galatians 4 7, Paul says, Understand this through God, not through yourself, not through anything you do, not through who you are, your actions, or your works, through God, because He did it, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then you are an heir. Whether Jew or Gentile, we were all previously enslaved to some form of of performance standard. It may have been religious laws or it could have just been, we were talking about this last night with mom and dad, you, sometimes people are just enslaved to cultural standards. If the culture's good, they tend to be good. If the culture's bad, they tend to be bad. There's, they just adhere to whatever the culture says they should adhere to. Um, but see, in Jesus Christ, the bondage of performance expectations are removed. We have new identities as children of God with full privileges in the family of God. That means we are not children waiting in maturity and full privileges, but we are, God considers us fully mature adults, and all the inheritance that God promised to Abraham has been granted to us. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 1.3, Every spiritual blessing in heaven, in heavenly places, is ours in Christ Jesus. It's ours right now. Every spiritual blessing because we are His children. Anything? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Galatians 4. We thank You for...